I'm preaching today from the first of two passages in the gospel according to Matthew. I'm preaching this sermon this week and next week as a kind of um, first attempt because I've invited, I've been invited to preach from these two passages on what used to be known as the Protestant hour. And I have to do this in a couple of weeks. I've been assigned these passages and I'm to preach them in a couple of weeks and I need a practice. So thank you for the journey with me. The first passage is from Matthew 18. In fact, both of these passages come from Matthew 18, again assigned to me. And I'm going to start reading from the 15th verse today down through the 20th verse. So listen for God's word, Matthew 18, beginning with 15. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you will have regained that one. But if you're not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind in earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of the Lord. So perhaps you've heard that story of the man who was stranded all alone, shipwrecked on a desert island. He had been there for a number of months trying to survive, hoping that some ship would come by and see him or maybe see the smoke from his fires and come and rescue him. Well, eventually a ship did notice and sent a small boat over to check on the man alone on the island. And as the small boat from the ship approached, the man ran down to the beach and it was a great and joyous day. He was jumping up and down. He knew he was going to be rescued. But before they got away, those from the ship noticed all the buildings that had been placed along the shore on the island. So they asked the man, you are here alone and you have so many different buildings that you've built. What is up with all these buildings? And the man said, well, it's been a long time. I had to keep myself busy. So that building over there, and he pointed, he said, that's where I sleep. I've been sleeping. And that building over there, that's where I've been cooking my food. And that building over there is where I spend the day. And that building over there is where I go to church. And that building over there, well, that's where I used to go to church. What makes this story humorous, frankly, is its truthfulness. From the very beginning of the church, as long as God's people have known themselves to be called by God and set apart for God's work in the world, we have this seemingly inherent tendency to get mad at one another and to 
separate from one another. And as we fall out from one another, we are falling out more and more from what God intends of us. Our own denomination is no exception. Presbyterians, in a meeting last Sunday with the inquirers class that we had at our house, we reviewed the history of God's people all the way from Abraham and Sarah all the way through to the present church. And from its earliest days, the church has been always seemingly inclined toward differences that separate us. And even in these days, the PCUSA uh, meeting this week in its General Assembly in Detroit, we have these debates. Debates about marriage and inclusiveness. Debates about guns and gun violence. Debates about Israel and Palestine. Debates about how to be the church. And it's always uh, on the verge of more divisions. These debates lead us. Maybe it's a good thing that Jesus has no grandiose ideas or illusions about the church and how people struggle to get along. Jesus knows the challenges that we face. Jesus knows that it's hard for people to stay connected with each other. Jesus uh, knows that the church consists of real people. And real people come with harsh opinions and tensions. The church consists of real people. And real people have an inclination toward alienation, it seems. We sing, and we'll sing it today, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. But Christian love doesn't always come easily or intentionally. We say we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, but it doesn't take much before we're bickering and before we're divided in angry factions. Indeed, in contemporary church life, we see more and more people leaving the church Angry about some issue or tired of the same old battles? Worn out by the church's inability to embody the gospel? The very people who are charged to carry out, to share the love and the grace and the hope of God in the world may be less known as a community of love and peace and joy and light and more known for, sadly, self-righteousness and judgmentalism, and exclusion, and other adjectives that we want to stay away from. We have work to do as we seek to be the church. Recent studies are showing that young people are not so much struggling with their faith or struggling with their connectedness to Christ. They are struggling with their experiences of church. The church is perceived to be too caught up in institutional, divisive issues. The church seems to be caught up in alienating practices or in purposes that often do not help people make sense out of life in this complex and fast-changing world. And beyond the community of the church, well, you know the story as well as I do. We see signs of alienation all through our society, certitude, has taken center stage in political life. Compromise has become a bad word. Everything seems to be increasingly divided. We're either for or we're against. That phrase in the Pledge of Allegiance, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all, it seems to be covered up 
in a tsunami of special interests, of my way or the highway, thinking we're all so good at divisions, at alienation, at choosing up sides, and seemingly so bad at reconciliation and community and connectedness and compromise. This is why Jesus' words are so pertinent always for us in Matthew 18 and why they remain important for us uh, in these days. We, seeking to be people of God and the people of God doing what God intends, have to keep working and moving from the enmities that separate us to the community that absolutely sustains us. Jesus invites us not to sweep the divisive issues aside. Jesus commands us to deal well with them. Deal well with our anger, with our alienation. And Jesus commands us to work for our inherent need for reconciliation. First, Jesus says, go and see the brother or the sister with whom there is a break. This is not just a suggestion. It's not just a good idea. This is really a command. It comes in the same way that Jesus says so many other things that we're to do, how we are to live as God's people. Go and see the person, Jesus says. And this is not just any person. This is the brother, the sister, with whom we are in community, and that community has now been broken. Enmity has come to the middle and the forefront. Honor has become dishonor and separation and alienation have invaded the relationship. Go and see the person. This takes courage, real courage. It takes prayer and grace and humility and generosity. It doesn't mean go to the person with your finger pointing. It doesn't mean go with your righteous indignation. These words of Jesus to go to the person intend to guide us from enmity to community follow so many other words that Jesus speaks to us about how to live. Love God and love your neighbor. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat each other well. A self-righteous or prideful or indignant approach doesn't appeal to Jesus. Go with grace and go with prayer, and go with humility, and talk through the broken point. That's the instruction. So, does a person come to mind here for you? One with whom you feel alienated or angry? This is the hard work of discipleship, friends. Going and seeking to repair the breach. This is the calling of faithfulness. And when it works, and I can say I've experienced this both as the one who caused the breach and both as one who also went and tried to mend the breach, when it works, then it can bring such joy, such fellowship, such sense of connection and community and peace. I cannot help but think that if we could practice this better with one another, our common life would be that much more meaningful. And when we do not do it, alienation grows 
and divisions become vast and life gets a long way from the reign of God. Moreover, when people feel alienated, bad things happen. So many of those committing such atrocities with automatic weapons seem to be alienated young men. When people get lost in their own worlds, alienated and separated from community, enmity multiplies. Heartache and harm too often follow. Jesus calls us to much more than that and better life than that. We're called to be disciples, disciples who follow Jesus' words. Jesus continues with how to do this. He says, if the person listens to you then, you've won him back, back into community. The whole point is not who's right, but right relationships in community. The whole point of confrontation is reconciliation, and that's it. Not revenge for the offended, not justification for some point or principle. The whole point is reconciliation. Remember, Jesus is all about humility and grace and community toward the kingdom of God. The third thing Jesus says, if you're not listened to, take one or two others with you. And if that doesn't work, tell it to the church. And then sometimes nothing may work to bring reconciliation. Nothing may work to restore community. And so, Jesus says, well, and I quote, let such a one be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. That sounds like after sincere efforts to reconcile, after sincere courage and prayer and going, it sounds like let them go. Be done with it. That's what it sounds like. But we can't forget. Who did Jesus hang around with? Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was always gracious and generous to the Gentiles. Relationships may break. Life in community may be less than whole sometimes. But never is anyone, never is anyone beyond the realm of God's love and grace. In some extreme cases, we have to leave reconciliation up to God. And who is God? God is the God of reconciliation and love and hope. And that's the promise. Then there appears this lovely line, often quoted and long remembered. For where two or three are gathered in my name, says Jesus, I'm in the midst of them. I'm in the midst of them. We often use this line when we want to affirm that God is present, though not many of us are present. That's fine. God is present. We often use this line to remind us that it's not in the numbers of the gathering, it's in God's Spirit that's always at work, no matter who's present. That is wonderful when people gather in His name, as Jesus says. But the real message in this text, in this context celebrates Jesus' extreme emphasis on reconciliation, on building community, not enmity. It's always about community and reconciliation. Jesus loves wholeness, not divisiveness. 
from the beginning of this passage to these final words, the main point is this. When you are working hard for reconciliation and community, I am in your midst. That's the promise. In the oldest sanctuaries from the Old Testament, the holiest item in the sanctuary was the ark. The ark is like a container, a box. And in the ark, in the very center of the sanctuary, contained the holiest objects, the holiest of holies, like the tablets of the law or fragments of the tablets of the law. Above the ark, in the center of the sanctuary, right above the Holy of Holies, there were two figures, two cherubim. In Exodus 25, 20, it says that the faces of these two cherubs are turned toward each other, facing each other. The point of this image is to convey the powerful truth. God is most present when people turn and face each other. God speaks where two people turn and face each other in love. God is most present in care and in generosity when people are seeking to move from enmity to community. There in the Ark of the Covenant, in faces turned toward each other, when we open the eye to the thou, and it keeps happening, that is where God is most present. Jesus likewise invites us. No, Jesus actually commands us to turn and to keep turning to one another, not in judgment, but in love, striving to overcome alienation with reconciliation, using faithful devotion and moving in the ways of discipleship for our lives. When we do that, we see God in our midst. Until we do that, we are moving away from God's intentions. Life as God's people is about connections and community, not enmity and alienation. Imagine, imagine if we could really live in this way. Imagine what it would mean for our fellowship. Imagine what it would mean for our city, our nation, our world. It would lead us in the ways of Jesus. It would lead us toward the reign of God. Friends, if not now, then when? And if not us, then who? May God's Spirit so touch our lives that we're moved to engage, to build community, to work for reconciliation and so embody the light and the love and the hope and the purposes of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To stand with you, open to you. That is to abide forever. Show us that way and keep leading us following Jesus. Amen.